Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Welcome home everybody. It's good to have you guys back, alhamdulillah. Uh, just a couple of uh, announcements quickly. We wanted to... Inshallah, grow towards having um, you know roots obviously be a space that's welcoming, but also a space that's safe. So Ramadan, um, obviously, the gates of Jahannam are closed, but there's still fire hazards. So uh, we have to be careful uh, with you know crowding spaces um, that we shouldn't be crowding. So that's why we're going to really try, Inshallah, to be a lot more intentional about leaving these pathways open. Uh, I know in, in the past, before we had the multi-purpose hall synced up with the TVs and the audio, it would just be like, get as many people in here as possible. But now, alhamdulillah, we have really, uh, you know, the AV system that we invested in here at Roots and on the Qadam Masjid side is really something, mashallah, that's, uh, you know, state of the art. And so if there's ever a program that, you know, you come to this side and it's full, uh, then the multi-purpose hall is going to be showing that program, inshallah exactly the same time, there's no delay. And also we're gonna be uh, moving towards also having like outdoor projection, inshallah. So we have all bases covered. If you can hear outside, then you can hear um, you know, inside, it's all good, inshallah. Uh, that's number one. Number two, inshallah, is that the doors are always gonna be closed uh, you know, at 7.15. And so if you come, there's no saving seats for friends and stuff like that. Um, even Islamically, by the way, there's some narrations that talk about uh, the impermissibility of saving spots in religious gatherings, meaning that if a person did the work to get here first, uh, it's not about you know competition, but they deserve the spot, right? So if they if they came here, I remember growing up uh, in my masjid in Chicago, we'd show up for tarawih prayer, and there would be all these prayer rugs lined up in the front row, and uh, you know all these kids would be like, no, we want to pray there. So one day we decided to revolt. And we took all the prayer rugs and we lined them up in the back, right, as a, as a demonstration of our genius. And then we got yelled at by the uncles who were downstairs eating pakore and samosas. And so it was an interesting experience. But nonetheless, inshallah, we figured out, uh, we've solved for all the space solutions, bi'idnillah, uh, inshallah. Okay, let's continue. Uh, we are going to continue now with the uh, discussion of uh, Surah Yusuf. So we have now reached the point where the boys have come back after taking their brother, and they uh, left him for dead, and they came back with a, uh, uh, you know, evidence of his, uh, according to them, his death. So we'll listen, inshallah, for a couple ayat, and then we'll start talking, inshallah. I don't know if this is, let me make sure the Apple TV is synced up. Excuse me, Noon. You okay? 
We'll go ahead and continue that, inshallah. We'll get that fixed for next week. Okay, so we were at the point where uh, the boys came back. So this ayah actually contains two different conversations or two different points. The first point is the brothers coming back having accomplished or achieved now their plot. Their plot was to get rid of their brother and their plot was to come back with some sort of evidence or some sort of uh, uh, artifact that would be a substantiation to the fact of whatever they were planned, which is that their brother had been eaten by the wolf. And we talked about this. We said that one of the effects of lying is that when a person lies, they have to continue manufacturing lies. You can't just stop at one. So they lied, and then they also had to take a shirt, and they had to stain it with blood, and they had to use the blood of another animal, and that blood was supposed to be representing the blood of Yusuf, alayhi salam. And then they had to construct now the story to their father, creating this false narrative as to why Yusuf was gone. So all of these lies were stacked up against each other. And one of the one of the concerns about when a person does this, and this is again like a, a big warning, is that no one, number one, should ever feel comfortable lying. Like this isn't something, this isn't a skill that you want to put on your resume. Like you want to say like, I'm really good at lying, right? Um, so this is not something that a person should be comfortable doing. If a person had, grew up in a, in a way in which lying was part of their childhood to get away from getting in trouble from their parents or whatever, this is something that you actually have to deconstruct within yourself. Because the person who lies and the person who cheats, it starts in a way that might be seen as like benign. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. But when you get comfortable not actually telling the truth and you lie to cover your tracks, 
it starts in ways that are benign, but eventually it starts to grow and it grows to what? Well, if I lie at home, right, to my parents, then eventually I'll lie to my classmates. I swear I did the work. I don't know why Google Drive didn't save it, right? And then eventually I'll lie to my coworkers. Sorry guys, I'm on time, but you know, I had traffic. There's a, there's a huge accident on the road. And then eventually you'll lie to your supervisors and then eventually you'll lie to your, you get married, you lie to your spouse and then you lie to your kids. So lying actually becomes like an embedded trait in the soul of a person. And the more that a person gets away with lying, it's kind of a weird paradox. The more that a person gets away with it, the more they're encouraged to do it, the more they do it, the worse off they are. One of the best things that can happen to a liar is actually getting caught. Because that would then put like a hard stop on this behavior that could lead to major life destruction later. Absolutely. And when I say this, I don't want you guys to think like, oh, he's just exaggerating. No, I'm not. I wish, I wish I were exaggerating. I wish that I didn't have stories coming across my desk or to my phone every week that the source, the actual source of the reason why things are happening is because of someone who got involved with not telling the truth. Whether it was family, whether it was business, whatever. Not telling the truth, getting accustomed to lying. So the, the, the story here is, it seems straightforward, but really the brothers have this unfortunate habit, this unfortunate uh, uh, trait that they developed was the ability to tell this lie. They weren't very good at it because they had to borrow from their father's constructed story in their imagined scenario, but nonetheless, they did. So Yaqub he responds to them and he says, Bel, Bel means in Arabic, like absolutely not. So here it can mean a few things. It can mean number one, that he's denying what they're saying, which is also true. Number two is that it's almost like a statement of shock. Like if you told someone something and they said, no, that's kind of what he's saying here. He's proclaiming like, no way. Sawwalat lakum anfusukum. That your souls, your selves have deceived and tempted you. You know, Yaqub, his mercy is so incredible to his sons. In the first instance, he doesn't want to tell his sons that he's afraid of them. He doesn't want to tell his sons, like, I'm afraid you're going to hurt Yusuf. So instead of putting the story on them, he creates this other villain, the wolf. Man, poor wolves, man. They, 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 didn't, they didn't do anything wrong in this story. And they're getting all the blame, right? He creates the villain of the wolf. The boys don't really pick up on, it's called Tawriya in Arabic, they don't really pick up on what he's saying. So what do they do? They, no, it'll be fine. How is a wolf going to beat us? And we are, we're a large group. They're not picking up what he's saying. So he's being merciful there, and his mercy is being sort of taken for granted, subhanAllah. What's going on? Oh, okay. Then, right, the next stage of his mercy is what? Even now, when they came back to him with all of his worst fears, with all of his, and we're going to talk about that in a second, his response is still not to like snap at them. He does not do anything to them. In fact, he doesn't even blame them. What does he say? He says, That your souls have deceived you. It's almost as if he's talking about them not as being like a singular thing, but as a two-part battle that's happening. And he's describing to them, he's saying, you lost. You're losing this battle. Like, I know that this isn't who you are. He didn't say, you guys are evil. He said, 
your souls have succumbed to evil from you. Right? And you notice this. Prophets, they speak like this. When Prophet Ibrahim is speaking to his father, he doesn't say to his dad, like, what's wrong with you? You worship idols. You pagan. He doesn't say that. He says to his dad, I fear that shaitan has allured you and tempted you away. I fear that shaitan, that Satan, has, does his, has done his job of tempting you away. One of the characteristics of prophethood is to be able to separate the sin from the sinner. You see this. The Prophet ﷺ did this numerous times. When people came to him and told him, I am this, or I am like this, a thief, he said, no, you're not. You are a good person and you have this problem. You need to stop stealing. There were the companions one time, they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they complained to him. They said, there's a man who has this moral issue. And he is a, you know, a thief. The Prophet ﷺ said, does he pray? Does he pray? And the companions said, yeah, we notice him, he prays. So the Prophet ﷺ said, what? Leave him, meaning what? Keep an eye on him. Because either one of them will leave. A person can't forever worship Allah and also be stealing. One of them is going to stop. Either the person will stop praying or they're going to stop stealing. Another example, these people that came and they were chasing the Prophet ﷺ during his hijrah with Abu Bakr Siddiq, what happened? They caught up to him and they were these bounty hunters. The Prophet ﷺ, he turned to them and he said, who are you? And they said, they felt so overwhelmed with like remorse and guilt about what they did that they basically admitted right there and then that they were bad people. They said, نَحْنُ muhanan," Like we are disgraceful people. We can't believe what we're doing right now. You know, when you catch someone in the midst of it and they know that they're in the middle of it, sometimes when you catch them, like there's nowhere to run. So they said, نَحْنُ muhanan." You know, we are bad. And they're, they're basically holding the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi hostage. They have like a you actually are good people. You guys, I know you. I know your tribe. I know this. You're good. You just have this problem of like hunting people down in the desert. You have to like work on that. Stop hunting people down in the desert. And you're good, right? So what is this to say? Yaqub, Ibrahim, the Prophet Muhammad, alayhim salam, ajma'in. What is their, their, their trait here? When you engage with somebody that has let you down. Okay? I don't want this to become group therapy. But don't raise your hand, but think to yourself, have I ever been let down? Right? Have I ever been let down? The answer, yes. Some people are nodding, some people, single tear. Right? <laughs> Allah make it easy, okay? You've been let down. An important emotional trait for you and I to develop for strength is to be able to separate the action from the actor. Because this one action does not define the entirety of that person. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you have to forget and move on and let the person, if someone stole your wallet, right, and then you, you figure things out, you resolve it, it doesn't mean that you're like, hey, you know what, for old time's sake, why don't you hold on to this for me? You know, like, <laughs> you can decide where you draw that line, but you should not define that person for the rest of their existence as, hey, it's the wallet thief, right, it's the leather man. Like, that's not how you define that person. That's not good. Because why? Think about it. Don't you have moments in your life that you regret doing, that you wish people would forget about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? We all wish and hope that people can overlook our mistakes. Because we do genuinely feel bad. We feel sorry. If we can't be so generous and compassionate to forget people, 
then how can we expect people to forgive, forgive us and forget our mistakes when we hope that they do? Okay? So look at this prophetic characteristic. You okay? Do gymnastics? Okay. Can you make me a smoothie? Okay, thank you. Okay. She got a smoothie thing on her iPad. Okay, so, and then, uh, so he says, And we talked about this before. Dem min kathibin is a, is a, is a, not a literal phrase, because in Arabic it means the blood that is lying, the lying blood. But blood is not, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inanimate object, right? But part of the, 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 the beauty in this Arabic, that they brought a, a, a false blood, a lying blood, is that the Qur'an here is, is, is as if it's saying that the evidence stands for itself. Like you don't need to force and impose truth on evidence. Evidence will stand for itself. And evidence will become manifest in due time when it is right. Right? We are all on God's time in that way. So if you have nothing to fear and nothing to hide when it comes to things like accusations, things like you defend your reputation, you stand upright, you present yourself in the most honest and best way. But beyond that, don't break yourself trying to prove and convince everybody of the truth of something. It's, sometimes it's a, it's, it's a lost cause. You do your part, right? You do your part. You tie your camel, as the Prophet ﷺ said, and then you trust in Allah. You don't have to try to manipulate anyone's mind or heart around the truth of what you have. All you do is present it beautifully, as the Prophet ﷺ was told by Allah Ta'ala, وَاصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُونَ وَهْجُرْهُمْ هَجْرًا جَمِيلًا be patient with people over what they say, and if you have to, leave them and depart them, what? In a beautiful departure, right? No singular fingers in the air as you leave, right? We catching on? Not the shahada finger, la ilaha illallah. The one next to it. None of that as you walk away. Wahjurhum hajran jamila. You have to leave them in a beautiful way. Don't let your truth be uglied by your behavior and your words. That's another problem is that even when we're right, sometimes our character can make our truth less truthful. People will doubt what we say, not because of the value of it, but because of the way that we say it. So don't ever take away from the, the truth of your argument with the words that you say. Then he says, فَصَبْرٌ جَبِيلٌ He says, and this is now he's speaking to himself. So he says, بَلْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ أَمْرًا He's speaking to his kids. Now he's turning inward. Kind of. He's still saying it out loud. But he's not, he's not really directing it to them. He's directing it to him. There will be some times in life where your recourse, what you can do in a situation, is nothing. Yaqub is a prophet of Allah. His son, Yusuf, is a future prophet of God. Okay? Their lineage is blessed. They are sacred people, sacred family. And in that moment... Yaqub, when he has been wronged in a way that like none of us could imagine, his son stolen from him by his other sons. Can you imagine the, 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 the cognitive emotional dissonance he's experiencing? He obviously loves his family. He loves all of his sons. And now one of them was oppressed by another group of them. How does he manage this emotional you know, uh, uh, accident, this traffic jam that he's experiencing? Subhanallah. All he says in this moment is all he can say. All I can do. It's almost like there's a point of reality. And the problem is that when you get used to solving your own problems, 
or when Allah gives you the impression that you solve your own problems. You start to go to Allah last. You do everything you can, and then you're like, oh, I suck. Like, let me, sorry if there's kids here. I am not good. Right? <laughs> I am not good at this. And then you come to Allah and you say, oh, Allah, please help me, please help me. But that's only after everything. And that's okay, it's good. Reaching out to Allah at the end is better than not reaching out to Allah at all. However, where did Yaqub reach out to Allah? Did he wait to the end of the surah? No, he started. His initial heartbreak was being mended and tended to by what? By the remembrance of Allah. Why? Because in this matter, as with all matters, the one who is in control is the one who you should call on. The one who is in control is the one who you should lean on. Don't lean on someone who's not in control. And anyone who is also another creation, like you and me, is only given a little bit of control by the one who has all the control. Ibn Atta'illah, he said this. He said, how can you rely so heavily upon someone to fulfill your needs when they can't even fulfill their own needs? Everyone that you rely on also has to rely on somebody else. Right? The surgeon needs a plumber. The plumber needs an accountant. The accountant needs a doctor. Like, everyone needs each other, right? So, Ibn Atta'illah was like, it doesn't make sense, logically, for us to be so invested in someone else solving our problems. We realize that, yes, Allah has placed people on this earth to help us. But at the core of it, at the source of it, we know that what? Wallahu al-musta'an. Allah is the one who is the source of all aid. And I'm only going to rely on him. That means that before I call the doctor or my friend or this or that, before I call them to figure things out, I have to first call Allah. This happened. You want to know when this happened? Exactly three weeks ago. When we planned for 500 iftar and like 900 people showed up. There was a moment out there, we did 500 boxes, we're like, there's no way we're running out of food. Then all of a sudden, everyone came, alhamdulillah. Because I think Dallas Halal Reviews posted it or something. <laughs> and it just like shot our numbers up, right? So everyone got food, and there's still a line of people making their way into the masala for Maghrib. And there's no food left. And I look at you know, some of the people, and I'm like, what do we do? And the first thing someone said to me was, He's actually not here right now. But the first thing someone said to me was, Allah will take care of it. Like, there will always be food. It, these people fasted for Allah, Allah will take care of it. Which doesn't mean that we all just sat down and ate our food. <laughs> what he was trying to say to me, and he did, ac accurately was, you're not feeding people. The restaurants aren't feeding people. The farmers aren't feeding people. Allah is feeding people. You're just on that supply chain, right? The supply chain actually doesn't end with, it doesn't start or end with humans. It starts with Allah, right? And it should end with Allah. Alhamdulillah. So he said that, and then all of a sudden, subhanAllah, what happened? Like, like you know, the Battle of Badr was yesterday, so I'm not going to try to cheapen that miracle. But it felt miraculous. We called three restaurants, and they were like, yeah, and they made all this food. Upstairs, they were having another iftar for another group of students. They brought down a lot of food. And the best thing of all was that the people in line that I went to with the news that their iftar was going to be 30 minutes late, you know what they said? They said, it's fine. They said, we're good. 
right? Now, I remember growing up in those scenarios where food was late or not there or not enough, there was a lot of emotion. But everybody who was here in this room was so graceful with the trial and the test that was there. And the brother reminded me in the very beginning that Allah will give us food just like he gave us food for this group. Don't worry about it. By the end of it, guess what we had, y'all? Leftovers. Isn't that crazy? The reality is that if you rely on Allah, you will always get more than what you expected. Because Allah is not cheap. Allah is so generous. If you rely on Him, you'll always get more than you wanted. You'll always get more than you expected. If you rely on people, you might get nothing. You might get barely enough. Or you might get somewhere in between. Always rely on Allah Ta'ala first. Wallahu musta'ala He says, I seek Allah's help in whatever you have claimed. Alright, now next, the Qur'an switches to the next scene. <clears throat> that, and there came some travelers. وَجَاءَتْ سَيَّرَةٌ فَأَرْسِلُوا وَارِدَهُمْ That they sent their water boy. They sent their, uh, they had a person as part of their caravan, that their job was to get water. So the water boy carries a bucket, goes to the well, drops the bucket in the well, pulls the well up, and, or pulls the bucket up, and what does he find? He says, قَالَ يَا بُشْرَى هَذَا غُلَامٌ I found a boy. Now, what does this mean? This, this, uh, this, this, this little, this young boy himself was not, you know, looking for a brother or a cousin. He wasn't excited for that reason. He was excited because in this pre-modern Egypt or pre-modern Levant, okay, between, somewhere between Egypt and, and Asham, okay, Palestine, because Yusuf was in the, the region of Palestine before he went to uh, Egypt. In this region, uh, uh, versions of slavery were being practiced. And if a person didn't have any claim to family or tribe or kin, then they were essentially up for grabs. And this was like finding, hitting the jackpot. So they find this young boy who could be an orphan, who could be this, who could be that. They don't know. And what do they do? They take, them, they take this young boy, Yusuf and Allah Ta'ala says that they took him secretly. They took him secretly to be sold as merchandise. But Allah Ta'ala was aware of what they were doing. All right, let's unpack this for a second. Yusuf's emotion. What do you think is going on? He's sitting there waiting in the well for a long time. All of a sudden, someone happens to come across this well. Another key point here is that this well didn't have its own bucket. The kid had to bring his own bucket, which if you know anything about wells, I know a lot of you love wells in here. No, I'm joking. If you know anything about wells, if a person brings their own bucket, it's a sign that it's a well that's not often used. Why is that important? Yusuf's chances of being saved were even less than we imagined. Because I know some of you are like, in the well, okay, he's alive. All right, someone will come to the, get water. No, this is like an old well. You know those gas stations that they don't have numbers on the sign? You're like, what does it cost? You're not stopping there. You're waiting to go to Bucky's or QT, nice, clean, luxurious gas station. You're not going to stop at the gas station where it's like, come on in. We'll tell you what the price is inside. Like, no, like... <laughs> I don't want to talk to a human being here. Like I'm trying to fill up with half a gallon and make it out of you know wherever that place is. Um, so this well was very much representative of that kind of environment. Old well, not a lot of usage. So the chance of him being found very low. Allah Taala will always make sure that you're found, no matter how unfindable you are. So Yusuf 
is found by this boy in the well. He obviously feels excited, right? Okay, I'm saved. Gets into the bucket. The boy pulls up this amount of volume and he's unsure, right? Like, okay, this feels like water. Pulls it up, finds a boy. Eustace excited. He sees a boy. Like, oh, we're friends. You know, like, finally, I'm going to be saved. But then, subhanAllah, the very people that were meant to save him were the ones that compounded his fate, his trial. Allah Ta'ala tells us, while Yusuf was excited, they were also excited, but for different reasons. He thought he was saved, and they were going to oppress him even further. A couple of things here that are incredible. Do you guys remember what just happened in the life of the Prophet Muhammad Where did he go, and then he thought was going to be a good turnout, and he was rejected? What city? Ta'if. In your journey, in life, you're going to have ups and downs. And some of the ups after your downs are going to lead to more downs. The very people that you thought were going to be the cause of your salvation are actually going to be the cause of even more difficulty. There are sometimes there are some people that find out you're going through something and they're like, oh, tell me what's wrong. You tell them and then you're like, please don't tell anybody. They're like, of course not. As they're tweeting it or texting somebody. And they always start those texts with, don't tell anybody, right? The reality is that, and Yusuf here again is being told this, and prophets are being taught this over and over again. Prophets of Allah in the Quran and in the Hadith constantly taught this lesson. Do not place your hopes in people. This doesn't mean, I'm not telling people to leave here paranoid and, you know, side-eyeing each other, right? I'm not, don't say the TikTok, don't say it, okay, right? <laughs> I'm not telling people to look at each other and be like, can I trust you? No, the Prophet ﷺ had Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he had Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiallahu anhum. He had all of his friends, of course, he had the Sahaba. But when we say trust here, we're talking about trust with a capital T. We're saying what? That when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your, the, the saving of you from a situation that you're in, People are going to inevitably disappoint you. We cannot blame the disappointment that people cause upon Allah. It's not Allah's fault that someone disappointed me. I always have to keep at least one guard, at least one barrier to protect myself. So Yusuf here is saved and then immediately is sold into slavery. Okay, subhanAllah. Allah Ta'ala then, he says, but Allah is all-knowing of what they do. This is another reminder to Yusuf that when you are in a situation where you are wronged, you don't have to, again, keep tabs on who wronged you. You're not Liam Neeson and Taken. Like, you don't have to go after somebody and destroy them and show them your special set of skills. Allah is keeping tabs on you. And you don't have to go ahead and, 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 and force or proclaim that these people hurt you. There's no, there's no list of people that you have to burn here. They later sold him, the Qur'an says, for a cheap price, just a few silver coins, only wanting to get rid of him. Allah mentions the price of Yusuf. Tafsir explains and says, there's a couple things. Number one is that compared to what Yusuf was going to become, they basically, I mean, they basically sold Bitcoin like 20 years ago. Like what Yusuf was going to become, a prophet of God, eventually the, the minister of Egypt, like the, the way that his trajectory was going to just boom after this, these guys, man, it's almost more of a punishment 
that they sold him into slavery. Like, if they kept him, it actually would have been beneficial for them. But they sold him. And no matter what price they sold him for, it was too cheap. The second thing, and the Mufassidin say this, is that when a person is doing something wrong, they're not trying to get the best profit. They're just trying to get rid of the product. So when they found Yusuf, they knew that what they were doing was wrong. And part of that was that they had no motivation to maximize profit. They're not going to go to the market and be like, we have a boy, who wants to buy a boy? They're like, hey, who wants to buy a boy? Anyone? And whatever price someone comes up with, they tell them, and khalas, that's it, the deal is done. Either way, the reality here is stated, Allah Ta'ala is teaching us, that when somebody engages in oppression, they don't win, they lose. They lose both ways. So then what happens next? The Egyptian man who bought him. This person is actually the minister, one of the ministers in the kingdom. He said to his wife, so this man was duped into buying Yusuf, thinking that it was a legitimate, a legitimate purchase, but they didn't know, obviously they didn't show him where they got him from. They just said, oh yeah, this is one of our boys, we're going to sell him. The man who bought him from Egypt said to his wife, take good care of him. You see Egyptian, Egyptian, like, you know, take good care of him. Take good care of him. Perhaps, he says, he could be useful to us, or maybe we can even adopt him as a son. This is one of the most amazing things about Surah Yusuf. If you were to arc Surah Yusuf on like a trajectory, you would see it going like this. You ready? Like every time you think something bad is happening or good is happening, the next thing flips. So he's with his dad. He has a beautiful moment, father, son. Prophethood is being proclaimed for him. Yaqub says, don't tell your brothers. He doesn't. His brothers find out. They throw him in the well. Horrible. He gets brought up out of the well. You're like, yay. That guy who brings him out of the well is selling him. Aw. The guy who sells him, sells him to like the nicest Egyptian man in history. Yay. Look, there's a guy who wants to take care of him. He wants to adopt him. He's being so kind to him. You're reading this story and you're like, I know what's going to happen next. I've been here before. Because in this way, you know, there's the eternal question. Does life create art or does art imitate life? The Qur'an is showing you how life is. The Qur'an is showing you right here. Now, we may not be left for dead by our brothers, brought up from a well, sold into slavery, sold to the minister of a country. Right? That arc is a little bit intense. But what you and I have to at least understand is that life is never about persistent and consistent ups, nor is it about persistent and consistent downs. There is a always shifting, ebbing and flowing, providence and trial, always. This is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This doesn't mean that you have to say to yourself, okay, you know what, I'm just going I'm, I'm to lay low because life's going to be tough. What you have to do is you have to prepare yourself spiritually and emotionally for the good that Allah gives you with gratitude and for the test He puts in your life with patience. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ اللَّهُ مُسْتَعَانٌ be ready, be ready to accept the difficulty and to take it so that it does not rattle your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah ta'ala to accept from us. We ask Allah ta'ala to allow us to be people that have beautiful patience. We ask Allah ta'ala that in times of good we are grateful and in times of difficulty we are patient. We ask Allah ta'ala to grant us all of the barakah of the lessons of this Qur'an. We ask Allah ta'ala that even if there's lessons and reflections that are not shared or not thought of at this moment, that Allah Ta'ala opens our heart to this book so that we can come to know Him and be closer to Him, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to accept from us our fasting and our prayers. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us this entire month of Ramadan. 
and to allow us as these last ten nights, as we embark on these last ten nights, that he allows us to find the night of power, the night from which we hear from the Prophet ﷺ that people will have their term solidified in Jannah and their protection from the hellfire will be permanent. Ya Rabbil Alameen, grant us that. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Arhamar Rahimeen. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka. Wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.